You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. All right. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, the remaining and remain standing for the reading and proclaiming of God's word. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 131. A song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope is in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, this is the word of the Lord. Um, Hannah Hernard wrote a fictional book called Hind's Feet on High Places, and it's the story that follows. It's a Christian allegory following the life of a character named Much Afraid. And it's specifically about this invitation to ascend to reach the high places of joy and fulfillment, and it's filled with various pains and obstacles, but this character, much afraid, she is accompanied by this figure called the Good Shepherd. And so she sets out on this journey. She reaches a certain height, and she meets this, these waters, this waterfall, this river, singing a very strange song that leaves her a little bit confused. And as she gets closer, these are the words that she hears the water singing. Come, oh come, let us away, lower, lower every day. Oh, what joy it is to race down to find the lowest place. This, the dearest law we know, it's happy to go low. Sweetest urge and sweetest will, let us go down lower still. Hear the summons night and day, calling us to come away from the heights we leap and flow to the valleys down Below, always answering the call to the lowest place of all, sweetest urge and sweetest pain to go low and rise again. And she's puzzled. This doesn't make sense. She was under the impression, under the impression that the path that she was on was ascending to the high places of joy and, and fulfillment. I, I thought that the journey was an ascent upward and on in faith where joy and excellence is found. And, and the shepherd explains, yeah. Kinda, kinda. But actually, the the high places are really the starting point for the journey down to the valleys. And the heights actually serve to create momentum downward because the way up is down. As God's people would journey to Jerusalem and gather for worship, they would ascend Psalms of Ascent here, ascend Mount Zion to to gather in Jerusalem, and they would sing these 15 songs that we've been looking at over the last few months. But these weren't just songs to sort of entertain them along the way or just pass the time like worship music in the background when you're getting ready in the morning. These were lyrics that they would hang on to because they formed their lives and they guided their steps. And they would remind the believing community, as they should remind us today, that while the world is carrying out its obsessive race to be at the top, to rise in the ranks, to be known, to be praised, to be the greatest, 
the man and woman of God take a completely different path. The people of God move in a completely different direction, moving down in humility to serve others. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 18, we read this, that the disciples came to Jesus, vocalizing, verbalizing a question I think all of us are thinking, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus, you don't need to, like, choose, but if you were to choose, like, who would you say is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he goes, "Mm, yeah, none of y'all. Bring me a child. And it says that they placed a child in the midst of them. Truly, he said, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so here's the big idea for this morning. The big idea is this, that the way to greatness is the path of humility and dependence. The way to be great in the kingdom of God is sought on the path of humility and dependence. And the psalm, this psalm is giving us a roadmap to true greatness, showing us how we can achieve kingdom greatness. And there are three directions that are absolutely essential for walking this path. If you're taking notes, the three directions are these. Come down, calm down, lean in. Turn to your neighbor and say those three statements. Come down, calm down, lean in. First, come down. Now, there's an old Greek myth a cautionary tale of a young man named Icarus. Icarus and his father were imprisoned in Crete, but his father, being this master craftsman, crafted these these wings for both him and his son made out of wax and feathers. And so his father teaches him how to fly, but he warns him about the nature of these wax feather wings. He says, if you fly too high, you're going to come close to the scorching sun and it's going to melt the wax, and you're going to fall. But if you fly too low, the water, the the wetness from the sea, the water will, you know, get your feathers wet, and then you will sink as well. And so sure enough, what does young Icarus do once he's in flight? He goes higher and higher and higher until as he has been warned, he gets too close to the sun, his, his wings melt, and he falls to the sea where he drowns. I probably should have told you this is not a kid's bedtime story to share with your children. It's a cautionary tale. It gets too close to the sun, it melts, he falls, he drowns. And this is a tale as old as time. The desire to rise above our station, pushing beyond the limits, striving to be the greatest, climbing to be on top of the world. Did you know that it's only been over the the last hundred years or so that the word ambitious was used to describe an individual positively. Today we say things, oh, what an ambitious young man or what an ambitious young woman, look at them go. Historically, before about the last hundred years, this word was actually used negatively. Ambrose in the 4th century described ambition as a hidden plague. Augustine described ambition as corruption of humanity. John Milton, in his epic Paradise Lost, used the word ambitious to describe the nature of Satan and his downfall from heaven. And here we are, continuing to tell people, even within the church, 
things like this. The real you is destined for something more. You are destined for for more, your version of more. You can be whatever you want to be. Go out there and get it. Reach out and take it. Let no one hold you back. Push through the boundaries. Be all that you can be. Do you know who the first person in recorded history, who it was, was the first person in recorded history to say something like this? You are destined for more. You deserve more. Reach out for more. I'll give you a hint. It slithered, slithered in the garden. Any guesses? Satan. Bingo. Satan said, God is holding out on you. Satan is the one that said, what you really need is this tree because contentment is for suckers. And forget all this beauty and all of this life that God has given to you. If you just reach out for a little bit more, then you will be truly happy. Then you will be fulfilled. And then you will be like God. And what God doesn't want is for you to be like him. Reach out and take it. You deserve it. So when we wake up in the morning with that pit in our stomach, with that anxiety and we look in the mirror and we experience disappointment over all the things that we are not and we hear that, that driving voice saying, it's not enough, you're not enough, you better be better, you better do more, strive for more, strive to become more. We need to understand, we need to recognize biblically whose voice we've been listening to because it's not God's. What does God say to us? We already know in Jesus Christ. He says, you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. It's Satan that says, do more, be more, keep reaching for more. Why? Why? We have to settle this. It's not because he wants us happy. It's because he wants to drag us down with him. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah describes the king of Babylon, which many commentators actually believe is alluding to Satan himself in Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Can I speak frankly with you today? You either come down voluntarily in humility or you will be cut down and cast down involuntarily. Those are your two options. You come down voluntarily, the gracious way through humility, or you will be cast down involuntarily. Because, but either way, you're, you're coming down. But only the path of humility brings with it the biblical promise to be raised up again. In James 4, we're told, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
Humble yourself in faith before the presence of God. And God promises, I will raise you up. We come down in humility. Or we're brought down in humiliation. And this is the path that the psalmist is leading us to take. Look with me again in verse 1. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now, now, don't get me wrong here. This is not the person who's given up on life. This is not the person, like many of us, that set their standards so low to, as to avoid disappointment. They haven't stopped living to, to do excellent things. This is a person, however, that is unwilling to be preoccupied with anything less than true greatness. And this is actually a very straightforward confession. Here's the confession that the psalmist is making. It's very simple. He's saying this, I am not God. This is the true essence of humility, waking up every single day and acknowledging God is God and I am not. What it means is releasing ourselves from the burden of trying to be great and trying to be marvelous and recognizing that it is the Lord who does great things. It is the Lord that does marvelous things. And catch this. He is great enough for the both of us. Because this king, unlike any other king, shares his greatness with his people. This is not a God who hoards his marvelousness and greatness. This is a God who shares it with his people. And when I realize that God has enough for both him and me, I can stop striving to be it in myself. I can stop looking to work and family and pastoral ministry or fill in the blank to make myself great and to make myself marvelous. I don't need to reach out and take it. I receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Something we see in the psalm uh, that goes really hand in hand with coming down is, secondly, calming down. Calm down. Turn to your neighbor and say, calm down. <laughs> Keep calm. That's an old wartime phrase. And speaking of wartime, um, a World War II general named George Patton was called perhaps one of the greatest military leaders in history. And yet he was also known for being extremely erratic and uncontrolled. He was the torture type. He made everyone around him nervous, including his superiors. And when one historian described him as someone who, quote, pursued many things with a violent, reckless abandon. He would, he would fly off the handle. He went it, multiple times. He went and visited uh, men in the hospital that were traumatized by war and would slap them in their face for not acting like men. Tough, gruff, unpredictable, unsettled. And there's a line in his memoir. These are his own words describing why he was this sort of individual. And, and side note, you can actually achieve, quote, unquote, greatness the wrong way. And so listen to his own words describing what's going on inside of him. He said this, I don't fear failure. I only fear the slowing up of the engine inside of me, which is pounding, saying, keep going because someone's got to be on top, and why not you? Keep going. Someone's got to be on top. Why not you? Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And he was the prime example 
by his own admission here, of a restless and a noisy soul. Now, let's contrast that great military leader with another great military leader from the past. And his name was King David. He's actually the author of this psalm today. And he says this in verse 2, But I almost serving as a contrast to all other leaders, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. A noisy, restless, that engine pounding, screaming, be at the top, in contrast with the, I've calmed and quieted my soul. What, what is a calmed soul? It means not being on edge. It means not fretting about the failure. It means not being haunted by regrets and, 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 and failure. It means not being gripped by worry or envy or ambition. It's, it's free from that nagging voice saying, I've got to be the greatest. I've got to be the best. I've got to be on top. It's quiet and calm inside. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Does that describe your soul today? Calm and quiet. Does that describe your 2020? Does that describe your election week? Calmed and quieted soul. Now, anyone who's lived knows that this, that keeping calm is easier said than done. In fact, telling your neighbor, calm down, is pretty much an impossible task. And there's nothing more infuriating than when someone says, whoa, 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 calm down. Okay, makes me want to punch you in the face just a little bit more now. Thank you very much. That's an unhelpful instruction. Calm down. Whoa, whoa, you're a little angry there, Turbo. Chill out. In fact, trying to calm down and calm ourselves down can actually bring more stress. It's like trying to sleep at night when you know that there's an important thing in the morning. You know, I, I got to go to sleep. Okay, I, I got to go to sleep now. Okay, I really got to go to sleep now. The more that you try to go to sleep, the more that you can't. The more you try to calm yourself down, the more you stress about being calm, which adds less calm and adds more stress, and it's just this horrible cycle of not calm. And so here's the question. How do we calm and quiet our soul? Because the psalmist isn't laying this out to be just this ideal that's outside of our reach. This is something that we can experience too. I really believe this. And I really believe that this description right here can actually mark the remainder of our year 2020. Calmed and quiet soul. So how? Well, I can tell you this. It's not by trying to wrangle down our stresses. It's not trying to master our anxiety, nor is it trying to numb our restlessness. I think there are a lot of people that are trying to numb that voice inside. And it's not by trying to drown out the noise or nor is it trying to change our circumstances because you can be in the most tranquil place in the world and still be noisy inside and still be stressed inside. And so the psalmist tells us how we can experience calm and quiet of soul. Look with me in the second half of verse two. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And so restlessness, anxious, noisy souls are the result of spiritual autonomy. 
You will forever be noisy inside if you believe that you just function in this world by yourself. And it's your destiny to achieve. Calm, however, is the result of spiritual intimacy. Restlessness, spiritual autonomy. Calm, spiritual intimacy. Which leads us to our final point. Lean in. Lean in. How do we experience calm and quiet inside? you got to lean in. Now, this is what has been called right here in Psalm 131 a daring metaphor. And it's because for all the ways that the scriptures describe God as a warrior, as a king, as a lion, as a father, this brings a very special picture of nurture and care and nearness like almost none other. If you're paying attention here, God's relationship to his people is likened to a mother with her child. In fact, it even goes further than that. It's not just a child with their mother, but the word here, with its mother in the original language, means upon. Like this child is upon their mother's lap. This child is in her mother's arms. This child is against their mother's bosom. That's the picture we have here. This is the place where the psalmist finds quiet and calm in his soul. It's not in success. It's not in achievements. It's not in status. It's not by being on top of the world. It's found in the arms of God, pressed against the bosom of God. Now, you may be asking yourself, that's a weird picture. I've never thought of myself pressed against the bosom of God. So let's flesh this out a little bit. In the New Testament Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is with his disciples reclining at the table, eating the Last Supper. And in John 13, it says that the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John's way of being humble and saying, it was me, (laughs) me, John. It says that he is resting against Jesus, or he leans into Jesus. And in the original language, it reads like this, that John was resting against Jesus' bosom. And so here's the scene. you gotta, you got to capture the whole scene here. This is a time of pressure. Jesus has just told his disciples that he's about to be betrayed. And to them, their dreams of their future, the dreams of this, this national liberator, Messiah, has just been squashed. Judas is out there racing around, scheming. The disciples are freaking out. They're beginning to question among themselves. They're, they're pointing, is it you? Is it you? Is it me, Jesus? Absolute chaos at that moment. And yet John does something revolutionary in the midst of chaos and noise. Here it is. He leans back into the bosom of Jesus. What is the most revolutionary thing you can do in a year like 2020? Here it is. Lean against the bosom of Jesus. Lean in. See, we we lean into a lot of things, especially in moments of uncertainty. We lean into our careers. We lean into relationships. We lean into our hobbies. We lean into things that we can control, like diet and exercise. We lean into entertainment. And God, help us. We lean into politics. We lean into so many things to find peace when our life is chaotic. But the Bible is clear that a calm and quiet soul happens only when we lean into Christ through intimacy with him. 
And while this is a description of the nature of God here, it is also a description of what we must be. What are we striving for as individuals? What are we moving towards as reality church Stockton? Here it is. This is my goal for my life and your life, to be a weaned child. To be a weaned child. Spiritual progress, according to Psalm 131, looks like a weaned child. A weaned child rests contently in his or her mother's arms. Think about a nursing child. What does a nursing child do when, they, when they're put in the arms of their mother? They start going crazy. They're looking for the goods. They're there for one reason. They have come to take They have come there with one demand, and they're moving their head. Even when they can't see, they're like sonar, moving towards the goods there. A wean child comes in for a cuddle. So I want you to think about this illustration here. Spiritual immaturity approaches God with demands. Give me this, give me that, or I'm going to throw a fit. But spiritual maturity approaches God, here it is, to be close to him. It doesn't bring demands for anything. It brings a desire for him. And this is how you progress. This is how you're going to grow in your faith. This is how you are going to become a person that you were intended to be. It's through being dependent upon God. It's through intimacy with him. And this is the place that we discover this unwavering hope that we read about in verse 3. Even when the future looks bleak for our nation and our goals and our jobs and fill in the blank, when the world scrambles, God's people lean in. When the world is just running around like like a chicken with their heads cut off, we do this revolutionary thing close our eyes and we lean back into the bosom of Jesus. And in the year 2020, in a year like 2020, this is what's going to stand out. I know that majority of our church is millennial, so I know that this is going to touch the heartstrings. This is the way that you will be authentic. <laughs> this is how you are going to be the snowflake of 2020. Calm, quiet. In a year like 2020, and as always, this is a timeless principle, humility is true greatness. Humility is true greatness. And so let's conclude here. I want you to zoom out for a moment and remember who is saying all of this. David is the king. David is the king of Israel, and he is the one that is stating that there's no better place than to be in the arms of God. What David is saying right here is very unregal. It's very not kingly of him, but it turns out David likes to do these sort of things. And it's almost like this king has nothing to prove. It's almost like this king isn't trying to prove himself. It's almost as if this king has taken God so serious that he doesn't have to take himself serious anymore. And the lesson here is this, that the less like a king you try to be and the less like a king you demand to be treated, 
the more like a king you become. And not only do we see this in the life of King David, but more importantly, we see this in the life of King Jesus, who walked the path, this very path of true greatness, not upward and on, but downward and in. Listen to the words of John Stott describing this paradigm. He said, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. And God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. We ascend in pride, but Jesus descended in humility and into sacrifice and facing the cross, descending into death and then being raised up again, revealed himself, vindicated by God as the true king, as the truly great and marvelous one, so that we, so that we could be rescued from the devastating effects of our ambition and be brought back into a life of purpose and passion and relationship with God. This is the life that God has intended for you, but it's not a life to reach out and take. Quit trying it. It's a life that we open our hands to and receive by faith. This isn't our posture of life. Quit living this life. Here it is, Christian. Faith. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do as I pray for us. I actually want to pray a an old prayer called the Wesley Prayer of Covenant. And just in a posture of faith and dependence upon God, if you're willing, I'd like to ask you just to reach out your hands in a posture of receiving today. And I'm going to pray over us in this moment. Lord, I am...